0: Welcome, everybody, to the Making Awesome Podcast, Season 3, Episode 51. Almost three years (laughs) full doing this. Um, Next week will be officially, I mean, technically, I think we started, like, mid-August of 2020, but uh, next year will be the 52 for Season 3, which means three full years, because we do them weekly. And at that point, we're going to be changing, instead of going to Season 4, we're just going to go to episode numbers. Uh, Makes a lot more sense in the grand scheme of things, so we're going to run that way. But we're going to be talking all about 3D printing and the right to repair the final frontier. I should have worn a red shirt, and I am just now realizing that that was a complete and utter mistake of mine. So I apologize, um, but thank you to Andrew, uh, our editor, for making that little tiny change in the thumbnail for me to, to, to put the logo on the shirt. <laughs> um. Anyways, let's talk about it, right? A lot of us that do 3D printing have utilized it for repair. In fact, I did that earlier Well, not earlier today, but yesterday, I did some 3D printing with Repair, and we often use it to solve problems. Things like, for me, I need to be able to stack lenses inside of a camera bag. So I designed and 3D printed a part that allows me to hold lenses, but at the same time, make sure that I can have my largest lens and one of my medium-sized lenses, and they won't hit each other inside of my camera bag. It's a dumb thing. Something like that doesn't exist out there on the market, and it's certainly not worth spending two to three hundred thousand dollars making it happen. So 3D printing gives me that opportunity to make that custom part. But at the same time, my car is 21 years old. Yeah, drive a 2002 Honda, and she's great. Love the car. Uh, need to do some maintenance on it, but you know, it's, a, it's an original VTEC Honda. Okay, like they're 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 pretty indestructible. But um other than the transmission. We're not going to get into that. There's quite a few parts on that car that I've had to 3D print because they've either been so functionally expensive to buy from the dealer that it didn't make sense or that it wasn't worth my time going digging through a junkyard to find it. And there's small things like the clips to hold the windshield washer fluid uh, lines, the tools to hold... um, Uh, fuel lines and vacuum lines inside the car that had just broken, and Honda doesn't sell them. Uh, You have to buy an entire fuel rail assembly, which I'm not going to do, Uh, so I'll just print and put the clips in the car. I do them out of uh, UL94 V0 polycarbonate, so it's a fire-retardant polycarbonate. In fact, it's better than the OEM piece, because the OEM piece was a nylon, which is not fire-retardant. Mine is. So uh, fun times. But, you know, when you have a 21 year old car, you're kind of left on your own to fix a lot of those problems because taking it to a mechanic doesn't make sense. Taking it to the dealer certainly doesn't make sense. And so you end up necessitating this ability to make the repairs yourself. Well, this is the world of 3D printing that we know it, where. A lot of us got into 3D printing because it solved a specific problem that we had. Or we had a fandom or something like that where we heavily enjoyed making something. That's why the podcast is called Making Awesome. But there's so much value in it because of what it's able to do, right? We are able to do so much more with this technology, especially now that it is becoming more consumer-friendly or... I, I I use the term commercialized, but I don't think the, that's the right term. I believe commoditized is the right term. I don't know. Pick your poison for that. But if you guys are watching us live, please make sure to like the video, subscribe if you haven't. It, both of those cost absolutely nothing and support the channel. And if you do want to kick a couple of bucks into that creator fund, we have links in the description down below for uh, YouTube membership, Patreon, and PayPal should you want to support the efforts that we do here. I'm excited because this is a topic that I felt very strongly about for a while. I think we've talked about it once or twice in the past, but never in this particular format. Because I want to go a little bit into the right to repair and why so many of us feel some type of way about it. Because it is something, like, it's mine, and I want to fix it, okay? This was kind of spurred by my uh, recent interactions with Bamboo Lab, where it, it... it didn't go great. Um, for those that are wondering, I am throwing in the towel. My X1 Carbon is going to be going back. I'm done. I- I'm going to wait till whatever Bamboo is going to be releasing here and just give that a shot instead. Um, you know, it's it hasn't been going great. And because I'm not able to fix the machine myself, we've had to do community stuff to it where we're assisting it in helping itself. That's often what Right to Repair is all about. It is helping you help the thing that you own. Because if you can do that, make life easier. You coming up? Okay. The cat's here. Mrs. missus P, I'm going to need you to go into your bed, please. So, let's talk about this kind of origin of Right to Repair. It, it It's kind of popped up in a few different places um with the first one being all about the automotive industry and it it was around the late 20th century that we saw cars starting to get computerized okay um we we went from this idea of carburetors to electronic fuel injection and from there we added computers to cars to the point now where I've been seeing, because of of course I'm getting these news articles now, but I've been getting uh, news articles pushed toward me regarding um, data privacy. And apparently cars have some of the worst data privacy out there. And it's kind of why I'm glad that I drive a car with literally zero smart features. Like it has a tape deck. Okay. It has a cassette deck I recognize it's not an eight track and, Anything like that? Oh, okay, Mrs. Kitty. All right. You're... you're we're working here. Um, yeah, I recognize that it, it, it's not that old school, but it doesn't have Apple CarPlay. It doesn't have anything like that. And there is a certain value to that for me because I know that, well, while the car might eventually have some reliability issues, it's certainly going to be cheaper for me to repair. And at the same time, I don't have to rely on a dealer to sell me those parts, right? Because of this computerization, we have independent mechanics that have had to slowly reduce what they're actually able to do for the end client to the point where it's like, all right, well, I can change your oil potentially. And, you know, I can do these couple of things. But after that, I can't work on your car. And there are certification processes now with the manufacturers to get certified to, you know, run their cars in your independent shop, like a Mercedes certified mechanic, or an Audi certified mechanic, or a Honda or Toyota certified mechanic. And a lot of people won't go to the old school guys that don't have a straight finger on their hands because they've been wrenching on cars for the past fifty year garages, because they don't have those certifications, and that is an issue when it comes to machine warranty, and uh, you know vehicle warranty. But I often find that those old school guys know what they're talking about. And especially if you have an older car, it's absolutely worth it. You'll end up spending a lot less money. You'll get educated in the same time frame. And hey, maybe you get to teach them a thing or two about the stuff that you do. And this is where there was legislation, at least started. It didn't go very far because capitalism uh, regarding that automakers have to make the information available to independent repairers that way basically keeping the idea that if i don't want to take my car to the dealer i don't have to take my car to the dealer alive and well and while there has been some success with this there are a lot of manufacturers that say nah we're not we're not gonna do that and that is actually where a lot of these youtube channels have popped up right Uh, Matt Denton in the UK. We've got uh, Freddie Hernandez or Tavares here uh, in Florida. Rich Rebuild, I think, is up in Georgia. There is a lot of these YouTube channels that have sprung up. Oh, can't forget Chris Fix either, right? There are a lot of these YouTube channels that have popped up that effectively show you how they do it. And can potentially teach you how to do it. Like, how many of you go to a service manual anymore for fixing your car if you're the type of person to fix it? No, you go to YouTube, you type in the problem, and you find the video that makes sense. Um, And you don't pull the valve cover gasket for your engine if it is running on both cylinders. You would check your spark plugs and your uh, coil packs first. Grant learned this yesterday by listening to the wrong people. Hi, Jonathan. Um, Then in the late 90s, 1998, we had DMCA. And DMCA made it illegal to circumvent digital rights management software. That has been kind of a big one, right? That was done to effectively work on uh, the Napsters, the, oh, what were some of the, LimeWire, um, because it, it was a problem, Right, This illegal file downloading was a pretty serious issue. And while it didn't really get much better for a while, this was the step in saying, hey, we're going to DRM control and DRM lock stuff, but we're not going to let you bypass it. So, you know. And that upset people. Right? I mean, famously, Sony's DRM was able to be cracked with a Sharpie. Um, Western Digital, uh, you can buy uh, their 8 terabyte and up drives, and they're called shuckable. You buy them as uh, external drives, and a lot of people just rip the external drives apart, pull the hard drive out, you put a little piece of tape over one of the pins, and then you slot it into your computer, and it works. It's a shuckable drive. And that has been a way to circumvent DRM for years. And the manufacturers don't seem to really care because it means that they sell more drives. So that's always cool. But DRM has kind of been a big problem, right? We saw that in like 20, what, 2012, 2013 was the big one with farmers and John Deere, okay? Where... Farmers were having to learn coding because they needed to jailbreak their tractors to be able to fix them, to repair them, to add accessories to them without paying John Deere exorbitant rates, like 50 grand to unlock something that they already owned. And so... Yeah, I get it, right? It's mine, and I should be able to do whatever the hell I want with it. And if I do something that fundamentally breaks it, that's on me. But the Mangusin Moss Warranty Act will protect me for the things that I don't mess with. So if I put a turbocharger on my car that still has a manufacturer warranty, they can void the warranty on the engine, the transmission, the drivetrain, and likely the engine control module or ECM because that is things that will be affected by that turbocharger. But they can't void the warranty for the interior. They can't void the warranty for, you know, certain things, because those don't matter. And that's been a huge value to this industry as a whole, because it means that we as consumers have the right, to some extent, To repair what is ours. But see, manufacturers have made it more difficult. And I'm looking at you, Apple. Apple is kind of famous for really making it difficult to repair their phones. Up until a few years ago, you could just slap on a new screen to an iPhone and that was it. But now you can't do that. Because it's locked to the phone. There's some programming that must be done. You you, you can't just buy a screen off the internet and replace the screen on your phone anymore. There is software that needs to be done to basically acknowledge that that screen now belongs to this phone. And this was a way for them to keep the third-party market at bay so that you would have to buy Apple-certified products. Uh, And Duff says same with the battery. I believe that is correct. I I do believe it was also the same with the battery. And I got a problem with that, and so does a lot of the industry. I mean, Louis Rossman is probably the biggest person really at the spearhead and forefront of right to repair. And he's the one that's spoken in front of Congress, in front of uh, lawmakers, and saying that we need this control. But unfortunately... Half of the lawmakers, if not more than half of the lawmakers in this country, don't even understand how to use an iPhone, let alone an Android tablet, let alone a Windows PC. I mean, honestly, look at what some of them put on social media and tell me for some reason that they should have access to this stuff. But they're the ones making the decisions. So obviously, there is a way for consumers to take back our rights, and make sure that we have this ability. 3D printing is one of those ways, right? You get a knob on your stove that breaks, no problem. You can, one, probably find it on like printables, Thangs, Cults, My Mini Factory. You can probably find it out there that somebody else has already done the work. But if not, hey, you've got another knob that's in good shape, probably. Take it off, design it, and print a new one. And guess what? If it doesn't fit, make some adjustments, print another one. You can rapidly prototype. I, I know it's um it, it's an interesting term, but it makes sense because I can do multiple prototypes in a singular day. A great example for me was when my uh my taillight switch actuator broke. So when you depress your brake your brake pedal on your car there is a switch that is uh when you push the switch in it closes when you let the switch out right no when you push the switch in it opens when you let it out it closes and that is what controls your brake lights well when the actual piece that touches that uh that switch brakes, your brake pedal doesn't touch the switch anymore, and your brake lights never turn off. And you end up driving around with your brake lights on. And those of you that haven't looked at the back of your car often, even if your car is off and the key is out, you press your brake pedal, the taillights turn on. So that means my taillights were not going to turn off until I got this part. Well, the part is available, it was like seven bucks from the manufacturer, but it was going to take four days to come in. And there was no way that one, my taillights would have lasted that long and wouldn't have melted from the heat from the light bulbs, or two, that my battery would have lasted that long. And uh, yeah, it absolutely wouldn't have. So I designed it, I looked at the manufacturer part, I took some measurements from the vehicle, I designed it, I printed it, and I fixed the problem. Only until I got the manufacturer part in, then I replaced it with the manufacturer part because... Like for seven bucks, like I solved my problem by not letting my battery die. And for those that own Hondas, there's a thing about Hondas that that are kind of dumb. And I don't know if it is in my era of Honda or it is newer Hondas as well. But when you take the battery out of a Honda, at least mine, you have to enter a code into the radio to get the radio to turn back on. That code is tied to your VIN number. And I guess this was done to keep people from stealing radios out of cars and selling the radios because without the VIN number of the car, you can't get the code to unlock the radio. So uh, I didn't want to have to put in that stupid code because I always have to look it up. Uh, And it's just, it's dumb because it only happens like once every couple of years because I have to change out the battery because Florida. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of funny, but for me, this solved a fundamental problem that I have that had a unique solution, right? 3d print the part and then replace it with a real one when the real one comes in. And that replacement part now sits in the toolbox in the trunk of my car. So that if I have this same problem down the road, I've got the part in my car to fix it with. That's the deal. That's the reason Right to Repair exists. Now, I could have left that 3D printed part in there permanently, but for $7, bucks, i will replace it with an OEM one that makes a lot more sense for my particular use case. And I don't think there's anybody out there that would disagree with me, right? Utilize the 3D printed part if you have an OEM solution for 7 bucks. Use 3D printing until you get that OEM part in. My personal thoughts there. Oh, that was weird. I dropped. Uh, did I drop packets? No. Okay. Whatever. Um. Anyways, sorry. I, I get distracted when OBS says reconnecting. I'm like, uh, that's not good. So, where does this put us with the 3D printing industry? Okay. We have these tools that and I'm going to specifically go to uh, FDM and MSLA. So if you're looking at other techs, we might talk about them a little bit. But the bulk of this is going to be around FDM and MSLA because I really believe those are the techs that are going to continue to see a lot of kind of movement in this industry and value to the end consumer when it comes to right to repair. And they're also at this time pretty much the most affordable type of tech that exists for 3D printing. Uh, we've got some frame issues. Oh, yes, we do. Okay. Yep, yeah, we have ping problems again. Thanks, Spectrum. So when we do look at what 3D printing is capable of doing, right, we can make anything that we want for whatever reason that we want, anytime that we want, affordably. And you're not just limited to kind of boring and stupid and bad plastics. We can go to pretty much any plastic out there that we want and use it. And while, yes, the average consumer might not be able to 3D print with really, really hardcore materials, like your average ender 3 is not gonna be able to 3D print in, you know, polycarbonate or peak or pec or ultem, of course. Uh you are able, with some small modifications, to affect that problem and make things a little bit better, right? All metal hot ends. Hardened nozzles or diamond nozzles, they're not sponsoring, so not going to give that one. Uh, rubies, of course, uh, there are a lot of options for that. Where you can take a relatively cheap printer and make it really, really good, but the vast majority of parts that those of us that are in this kind of game need to work on and need to fix are pretty cheap like really cheap and uh that means that we can use everyday standardized plastics which is pretty cool 3d printing opens up a lot of value in this industry right because you don't have to wait and Okay, sure. That means the vast majority of us have a problem when it comes to uh, you know waiting for things, and part of that is this you know desire to always, always, always have stuff uh, and have it now, right? People want their stuff and they want it now, but we also have a big problem, which is intellectual property. Uh, Recently, and and it was Honda, so I I, I can call out Honda, Honda sent out takedown requests to pretty much every repository that exists out there for 3D printed models. Anything that had the Honda logo, Honda in the name, period, the models were taken down. Why? I don't know. Because they could. Um, Because that's just what Honda wanted to do. And while there is something... Oh, there goes a frame. Um, and while there is something here in regards to intellectual property rights, if you are doing it for personal use, there are no issues at all with intellectual property rights whatsoever. There are no issues. So, okay, if you don't sell it to others... And you only utilize it yourself. That brings more value to the table. What does that mean then for the impact on the companies? Well, they shouldn't notice it. At least I don't think they should notice it. I don't think that companies should notice that one or two people are doing this. Right? There shouldn't be any problem, but I'm honestly not certain. Right, We've got a problem where companies want to control everything that users buy. Because this is actually what capitalism is. It is the desire to get as much money as functionally possible. So that's why DRM exists. That's why DRM is here. That's why... Everything is the way that it is. So how do we solve the problem? Well, we can't get around DRM, right? We can find ways to bypass it, but we can't actively and forcibly destroy it, right? That, that is technically against DMCA. Now, do companies care? We found that they often don't. Um, The mouse is one that sometimes cares, but oftentimes doesn't (coughs) Um, video game companies have really kind of changed when this kind of industry of 3d printing first took off. You saw a lot of video game companies saying, Whoa, 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 this is our intellectual property. You can't do this. And that just was users saying, Nope, Nope. Screw you. Uh, I'm still going to do it. I don't care. Screw you. Don't care. And uh, yeah, that one's kind of tough because I feel both ways about it, right? If it's mine, I want to be able to do it. But at the same time, if I'm showing it off on the internet, there is a commercial value to it. So I can see both sides. But see, video game companies have come around to this and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They want to produce models from our games to put on display in their own homes. Okay. Why would we stop them from doing that? Because they're going to talk about it on social media. It's literally free advertising. That's a good deal for companies. But see, it's only the small ones. Because when you look at companies like Games workshop they are the ones behind warhammer 40k they outright hate 3d printing and uh validly stop as much of it as humanly possible to the point where if something is called a space marine online they will often uh, do a takedown request because 3d printing actually fundamentally hurts games workstation Or Games Workshop, because they sell injection-molded models that they pay pennies for for 10 to 20 bucks when you can literally print the same thing at home for less than it costs to go out and buy it yourself. And often with the right things that you want on it in the first place. And while no, it's not posable, although you can get ones that are, it is much better solution for those that want to build massive armies for tabletop gaming but don't want to take out a second mortgage to do it. So, intellectual property is kind of this weird, you know, middle ground, right? So where then are we left with um the th- th- Where then does it leave us with the game companies, right? Some care, some don't, some should, some won't. I don't know why. I believe that allowing people to 3D print like this is good. Like World of Warships partnered, well, we won't say partnered because that's probably not the right term. But World of Warships has stuff on printables, right? Um, And there are a few other game companies that have, uh, you know, worked with printables to where they release models for you to 3D print because they realize people are going to do it anyway. So we might as well just give them the opportunity and the ability to do it from the beginning rather than actively fight them. Why, Why fight your users when instead you can work with them and at the same time they will effectively market for you for free? Now, 3D printing is like the right to repair's perfect storm. It is exactly what someone who, that really believes in right to repair, would look at and say, this is cool. And it's for all the right reasons. It is exactly what you need. Because it lets you make whatever you want for Whomever you want, for whatever reason that you want. And, uh, well, you know, that's pretty damn cool if you ask me. Also, I apologize if we are dropping frames. We have dropped over 17% of the frames of this podcast, so I am heavily upset. Um, Chris or John, if either of you are in the chat, if you guys can put in the Discord what thing I should be running in a command prompt to figure out why I'm having such issues with, with packet loss only when I'm streaming, that would be great. So then let's move forward. We have some hurdles, right? 3D printing has some fundamental hurdles with right to repair. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a pain. It's the design, right? Right you want to make your own stuff but to do it you need to know how to design that one sucks uh that one is really 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 difficult um because well it's a it, it's tough it is it is very tough to Learn how to design on your own. And it takes a lot of time. Um sorry, I, I needed to send a message. Um I am so I am so distracted right now because again, I have dropped over 23% of my packets and my podcast is not up on YouTube. That's great. I'm gonna have to post the raw footage again. Uh I'm so sorry, guys. Uh If any of you have any contacts at Spectrum, this is ridiculous. This should not happen. It is a consistent problem, and I do not know why. Sorry. I am so bothered when I see OBS red. It's red. We've dropped over 25% of the packets. Uh, I'm so sorry. This This is not fair. Because this is how I'm trying to make money, and my internet provider is actively keeping money from me. This is terrible, and I'm very sorry, guys. I, I I am truly, from the bottom of my heart, I am sorry. Um, Alright. So, 3D modeling. 3D modeling is the big problem. That is the issue that we deal with. We deal with an issue with 3D modeling. It is complicated. It is difficult. And while, yes, Tinkercad exists, and while, yes, there are systems that work none of them are easily user friendly simple to operate are parametric so it makes design easy and have a big enough community around it that isn't incredibly toxic that can help you build and uh, you know make it I don't know if we're gonna be able to do these podcasts live anymore, guys. Uh I, I I can't stream. I cannot stream. This is ridiculous. I am I am so upset. I can't change providers. There are no other providers. There are no other providers in my area. It is this or it's Starlink. And it is so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And while, yes, 3D scanning does exist. Good scanners are really expensive, like really expensive, thousands and thousands of dollars. And yes, there are scanners out there that are considerably more affordable that uh, work great. Well, you need a three plus thousand dollar laptop or desktop to run it, and then you're still not getting the best accuracy. And even then, they're not doing the one thing. The one thing that we all really need, which is they're not actively turning a like scanned model into services and solids. They're not doing it. Um they're not. And that means that the models that you scan are not very valuable. Um It's complicated. And someone I own over a hundred thousand dollars of 3D scanners. I own way too much in scanners. Um, and I use them all the time, except for the one, the really expensive one that I'm actively trying to sell. So if you know someone that is looking to buy a uh, really, really high-end LIDAR scanner, I will pay a five thousand dollar, five thousand dollar finders fee. To someone that can get me a buyer for this scanner. I would like to sell this scanner for $40,000. It is a $60,000 scanner, brand new. This one is still factory calibrated. It is within its warranty period. And it is really, really good. So if you know someone, I will pay $5,000 as a finder's fee. Because I want this thing gone. I'm happy to have it gone. Anyways... um now we have a uh, we have this problem right there's this this gap and there is software out there that enables this however it's expensive geomagics uh, is pretty much all about uh, drF right it's ten thousand dollars a year minimum Um Uh, I'm distracted again. I'm sorry. Um Uh shit. I'm really distracted. Uh Okay. What the hell? Why would my podcast just stop? Are we not are we not streaming anymore? No, we're not. Oh, we are. Okay. Uh what the hell is going on? Um, what, uh, what is going on? Why, why is it just a picture now? What the fuck? What is going on? Did it just kick everybody off my stream? What's going on? What? know what's going on. Yeah, I just kicked everybody off. Ah, uh, this is ridiculous. Alright, we're going to call Spectrum again after this podcast today. What the hell? I, I-, I can't control it. I'm sorry. I I, I-, I have... <sighs> I-, I just want to stop this. I am so frustrated. Because I am trying to stay on track and... I drop frames, OBS yells at me, and uh just I, I just lost three quarters of our viewership. Gone. And uh I, I am I'm frustrated because this happens every fucking weekend. It is so frustrating, and I can't fix it. I don't know what to do. Uh I'm sorry. Uh this is this is you all say it's not that bad, but it's really bad to me because I am I am about to change our entire content calendar and schedule because I'm going to be streaming more. And if I can't stream more, this is a problem. <sighs> Anyone that talks about this problem, get rid of them. I, I, I want the comments deleted. I I, I don't... I have enterprise gear it's not me i have spent years battling this problem and i do not know what to do i am fundamentally frustrated at this and i am sorry that it is ruining the show for everybody i am sorry that we just lost three quarters of our viewership and i'm sorry that i am still over 20 percent frames drop it is not my fault there is nothing that i can do to stop it i am sorry huh <sighs> I don't know if I can keep going today, guys. I I don't I don't know if I can. It it is it is so frustrating. It is so frustrating. Every single Sunday, this has been a problem for weeks. I can see the problems. I'm watching it, and I can't do anything about it. I'm sorry. i'm sorry i am i'm really upset i'm sorry guys I'm, I'm sorry let me try to get back on topic i don't know if it's gonna work but i'm, I'm gonna try um All right, uh, I'm I'm gonna try, guys. Uh, I'm sorry. <sighs> I'm just I'm just trying my best, and I'm being kneecapped by things that I can't control. It is it's so frustrating. All right, fine. Let me check my notes. Um. <sighs> All right, let's talk about limitations. 3d printing has some pretty rough limitations uh some very rough limitations and uh you know what i i can't look at the chat anymore um i can't look at the chat anymore i don't care uh please just ping me in discord if you know my discord if we have any major problems and you need to at me because i won't hear it or see it otherwise i can't look at chat anymore i'm sorry the chat is distracting me because I know I'm having internet problems, and I don't need you guys to constantly remind me about it. All it does is make me v- so much more anxious than I already am about this, because this is it is killing my it is killing my 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 abilities to do my job as a live streamer. It is. Fuck. All right, limitations, right? We have some limitations. Limitations on this are actively due to right and ability to use certain materials. You look at the big boys out there. Stratasys being the biggest company for FDM and FFF. Well, FDM because they own the trademark to that. I don't even have to say FFF because they own the trademark to FDM. They, um, they DRM everything wow, I've got a lot of bruises on me from yesterday. Jesus. Sorry, I, I was working on my lawnmower yesterday and I got hurt quite a bit. Uh, and I'm just now noticing the bruises all over my arms. Cool. Um, They DRM lock everything, right? You can buy a Fortis 250, but if you want to print in polycarbonate, you need to unlock it. You want to print in Ultim? you need to unlock it. The machines have the capabilities to do it and it is literally just software code to unlock it. Haas, I got a VF two Super Speed, a a really nice mill, for a makerspace that I was working at at the time. Um, they locked stuff behind DRM, and I said, "Uh, that's not going to work for me." I paid for the machine with all of these features. I want all of the features. Oh, well, you paid for the machine and it comes with all these features, but you have to pay to unlock the features. And I said, that's ridiculous. Do I really need to call in people to unlock them for me? He's like, well, you actually need to call us. We come out in three to five business days to unlock it. I said, just so you're aware, I'm going to find ways to unlock this machine myself. And then about two weeks later, I got injured and never stepped foot in that space again, unfortunately. So... Uh, not a man of my word there because, well, I couldn't be. We have, we have limitations. Limitations exist where, um, it's us. We are the limit, right? Sure, you can make an Ender 3 print ultimate if you really wanted. It's possible. And in fact, it's not as difficult as you think, um, It's actually, you know, much, much easier uh, than you think. It just requires lots of heat. Uh, Like, lots of heat. And, uh, you know, a heated chamber, heated build plate, kind of heated everything. But it doesn't exactly, uh, you know, (laughs) doesn't always work the way that you want, because Ultim is a bit of a... Uh, Of a picky girl. So it leaves us with this: all right, we have to work around our problem. We have accuracy issues, right? Resin printing is very accurate, but the parts can often be brittle unless you're spending good money on good resin, like mayor makes resin. um, You know that is effectively peak in a bottle. Oh God, I if I ever do if I ever do that video with mayor makes, I have to make a genie in the bottle joke now. And I, do I have to rub the bottle the right way? How do you rub a bottle of resin the right way? Don't answer that question, internet. Uh, no, please don't answer that question. Um, yeah, you, you really have to figure out the right material for the right job. Um, and it is a monumental issue. Um, and yes, while E3D does now have the Revo that can go to 500C, there's very few people that ever will print that hot. We look at, like, pretty much all the hardcore materials, right? Polycarbonate, nylon, the stuff that is attainable by the average person. That costs less than 100 bucks a kilo. It can all be printed 300C and below. Um, so... When you start looking at higher temp stuff, you're looking at peak, Peck, ultem, uh, PPSU, and some of the others. Although PPSU, technically, you can print it at 300C, it won't be happy. It's right on that edge. PPSU is normally 285 to 315. Um, and yes, Christina Aguilera from back in the day, Spurlock. Huh. It's um, it's problematic, uh, but. Like, dude, we just made some parts for someone out of polycarbonate... Reinf- or Carbon fiber reinforced polycarbonate. It's kind of cool. And hilariously, I know those parts. They're going to need to get printed in another two months. These parts uh, get dragged across concrete. Uh, I can't exactly tell you what they're for, but I can tell you they get dragged across concrete. Um, and... That means that over time it's going to wear down. The carbon fiber will help it be more uh resistant to that temperature. However, it will not keep it from being a huge issue. Right? It will resist the wear, it will resist temperature, it will um it will be good. But It won't be perfect because concrete is really, really tough. It's like 40 grit sandpaper. And sure, you could print in metal, right? Metal printers exist. They're getting more affordable, but more affordable means like a 100 grand, to be clear. And sure, you can 3D print with metal filament if you need to replace a metal part, but you have uncontrollable shrinkage when you go into the sintering process. We talked about this in Wednesday's video. Um... And yes, I heard you guys, we are going to be doing more on metal printing, so stay tuned for that. But, <laughs> with polymer, you have some limits, right? Can you print engine components? Probably. Will they last very long? No, they won't. A lot of materials can handle the basic heat of a motor, right? Under the hood heat. Nylon is fine. Polycarbonate should be fine. Even ABS is often used in car engine bays, but they're not like right on top of the motor or right next to the motor. They're a little bit of a distance away where there's fresh air that can keep it from melting. But all of these have a component that the average person doesn't use, and that is being fire retardant. See, when you repair stuff yourself, if that repair now becomes the fundamental point of a failure mode, you are responsible for that problem. You. You are responsible. How can you fix it? Well, it's not easy. right? You gotta use the stuff that is OEM spec, OEM equipment, and go from there. Yes, you have the right to repair, but you don't have the right to circumvent warranties, right? So make sure you do better, OEM plus, right? Better than OEM or better. So, all right, you can save money. You could do it yourself, but See, the average person sees that and says, oh, well, I'm just going to go buy a 3D printer, plug it in and say, make me knob for my stove. It is not going to do that. Every one of you that own a 3D printer know that even if you get a printer that works really, really well, all right, the average view of a uh, Bamboo Lab printer is that they just work. Mine, My view is not that, but the average view is. Even if you get one of those printers, you still kinda have to know what you're doing a little bit, or it is more complicated than you think. Try to give a printer, I don't care what printer, to somebody that has never seen a 3D printer, never used a 3D printer for the first time, and they are likely to struggle. And that's not because it's really, really difficult it's because it's not designed for end customer use yet. But see, those that are looking to fix their own stuff, I heavily argue, are not the average customer. They're the power users. They're the ones that jailbroke their iPhones for the sole purpose of they wanted to do it. Not because they had a specific reason to do it, but they did it because they wanted to. They're the ones that have a Linux computer, For the sole purpose of playing with Linux, they're the ones that probably are neurodiverse a little bit. Sorry if you feel called out about that, but it's a common trait here in the maker community. But they're also ones that have a problem saying, I have to rely on somebody else to get something done. You know, what's a a thing that I've seen consistent across makers, and I am absolutely guilty of this, too. We don't know how to ask for help all that well, because we are used to being able to solve our own problems. So we don't ask for help. I am going to get Nick Anger back on the podcast, and we're going to talk about some of the big neurodiversity issues in this industry and how we can kind of work on it. But it's because we all feel so valid and made valid when we can solve a problem. Asking others makes us feel less valid. Geek Toybox says he prefers Neuro Spicy. Well, that, that makes it sound like it's an OnlyFans thing. So I'm going to stick with NeuroTypers. <laughs> uh, and it, there are problems, right? There, there, there are problems here. Um... And also, because of that problem, we don't necessarily know how to talk to others either, right? Uh, we, we, we have a problem with that. Uh, you know, we have a problem marketing ourselves. We have a problem showing off what we do. And we have a problem giving praise to others when they do a good job because we have a hard time accepting praise when it's given to us. I'm not calling people out here. But it means that makers, while we are perfect for solving problems... We're actually way better to solve other people's problems than we are to solve our own problems. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, right? As Spurlock says, farmers are 100% DIY, explains why they are at a war with John Deere. Farmers are the first time that we saw a traditional, like, you know, working hard person that just... They get sweaty on a daily basis. Say, screw you, I'm going to do this myself. And actively learned electronics to get around it, right? We've got a lot of industries that said, screw you, I'm going to do it myself. But not a lot of them flipped instantly. The entire farming industry, as soon as John Deere came out with that, was like, hey, F you, we don't care. We're going to do it ourselves, and there is nothing, nothing that you can do about it. And uh, John Deere said, oh, yeah, try us. And Farmer said, okay, no problem, bet. And Farmers are kind of winning. They're taking back their right. What does that mean? It means that life could get better, but it is likely to get a lot more complicated. See, as we push for right to repair, and it isn't law. It is law in some states, California, looking at you. Uh, but it is not law across the entire United States. As consumers push for more right to repair, um, we are going to see companies push back heavily, with a vengeance, with a passion, because they want to control that supply chain, because that's how they make money right? We've watched video games go from you spend 40 bucks, you own it, that's it, period, to you spend 80 bucks, you have to buy the Battle Pass, you have to buy all these upgrades, it's DRM controlled. Because companies don't want your money once, they want it over and over again. And while on a software side, outside of sailing the seven seas, there's really no way around it. You're kind of stuck on the hardware side, you have control, right? Tesla recently introduced DRM for the rear seat heaters in their vehicles. It is easier for Tesla to build the cars with every one of them having all the options, but then just only activate it when you pay a certain amount of money. Now, the person who's very pro right to repair would say, What the hell? That's ridiculous. That is dumb. I'm not, I'm not going to deal with that, but the average Tesla consumer will say, well, hey, if I decide that I want it later on, I just pay Tesla a couple hundred bucks and an over the air update comes and my car all of a sudden has this new feature. But see, at the same time, they can take it away from you, right? We've seen this with ludicrous mode and some of the other uh, options and DRM options that are bought for cars. When they're sold, those DRM options do not get sold with the vehicle, so then the new owner has to purchase it. That's a problem, too. That's a big problem. And we don't necessarily have a way around it other than, well, hacking but the other issue is 3d printing is not injection molding and 3d printing is not a replacement for injection molding and in fact 3d printing is uh you know often not great 3d printing is a often a solution looking for a problem um which is a mean way to say it but it's kind of true right we solve a lot of problems with three D printing that aren't huge problems. This I am solving a problem that clearly not a lot of people have because this isn't something that exists out there. Now, I can sell this if I wanted to, and should we should we sell this stuff? Like, is is there value into selling stuff like like this? Um, you know, it's uh could be good, could be bad, uh, but. You know, you could also go through the effort that I did and just build it yourself. Now, hilariously, uh, this, is, this is for Sony, there was a person that had an STL file for it already. I asked him for the step file, but in the time that it took them to respond, I had already actually built my own. Uh, so now there is a step file, so you can actually make this way easier. But that's kind of cool, right? Carr has had a huge impact on makers in a way that I don't think they ever noticed or thought of, um, where... If you need something, you can download the CAD model for it. Well, you can just print that CAD model if you want. But you could instead add that part into your design and design with it. Instead, a lot of makers say, well, I need this. I don't want to wait. I'll just just buy it. And then I'll print it. And it works. And it's kind of cool. But at the same time, it's nowhere near as strong. Look at... At 3D printing for hardware, right? Nuts, bolts, that kind of thing. Sure, we've all kind of printed the nut and bolt example just to show it. It's cool, it works, it it is a thing, right? But you don't uh you never trust it, right? You wouldn't trust your life with a 3D printed nut and bolt because it's not strong enough. So you've got design constraints. You have to work around, right? Oh, you need something. That's a sphere. That's not going to be a sphere. It's going to be two domes that I then glue together. And so you'll have a seam or I have to design it some other way to, um, you know, make it fit my needs. Um, also Dom, I, I think Dom, I think Dom is behind geek toy box. I think is behind in it because, uh, the stream dropped, but, uh, it's not always the answer, right? But see, we have a problem in this industry and it's one that I am attempting to solve, but I'm struggling. Um, honestly, uh, it's education, right? I struggle with it because I get pulled off topic because my internet dies or we have other problems. And that's the kind of stuff that upsets me. Um, because it, it it's it pulls me away from what I need to be doing, which is working on the making awesome Academy. We have an education gap. We have a massive, massive education gap in this industry, and uh, you really need to dive in. Right, there's no way to stick your toe in for 3D printing, enjoy it, see what it's like, say oh well I like it, oh maybe I don't, no, you kind of have to buy a printer, spend some money, spend some time, y- you can't just take some classes, see if it's for you, and if it's not for you, you spent a couple hundred bucks, you learned, and you move on, but if it is for you, you can keep going in these classes and learn more for really cool reasons. It's not always exactly the way that you want. So it means that there's this weird um, it, this weird kind of tango that you have to... It's, it, 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 it's a dance, right? There's a weird dance that you have to play. This dance is the education versus just doing it for somebody versus you doing it yourself. If you are in this industry and you know it, this stuff is second nature to you. But talk to somebody around you that doesn't know what this industry is, and they're going to think it's like the, the Star Trek replicator, right? They're, they're going to think it's just instant. And you can take a picture of something with your phone and then replicate it one for one with perfect accuracy. And uh, the answer is you can't. You can't do it. Even with the best scanners in the world, you're still only getting a couple of micron worth accuracy. And that is not perfect. Not to the average person that is perfect enough, but it's not perfect, right? And maybe that's me being very black and white about it, but it's true. And at the same time, it's not easy every one of you that have been in this industry have likely dealt with some sort of problem with your machine where the machine is just pissed off. And sometimes it is turn the machine off and let it think about what it did overnight and it just works again in the morning. Why? I don't know because it hates you. I don't know. Sometimes machines get uppity. The average consumer is gonna say this thing is broken. And they're going to call a shop like mine to fix it. We had someone call us to fix an Ender 3. And I said, it's going to cost $75 an hour to fix it. Just go buy an SV06 Plus for three to $400. And that is going to cost you less money. And then throw the Ender out. Give it away. Make it somebody else's problem. But don't spend the money and specifically the time. Getting that machine running. This is where 3D printing borderlines commodity. I've got four resin printers that if you live in Tampa Bay and want a resin printer, hit me up. I got like five FDM printers that if you live in Tampa Bay and want an FDM printer, hit me up. I will give it to you. Although I do want to do the trade that Joel does where it's like, hey, bring me bring me something to trade. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know what people would bring. It could be anything. Uh, But I, I would say, bring me something to trade. And I'll do it. That is where... This industry is like, well... I don't know. It's not perfect. It's not the answer. It's got problems. And... You know... I don't know if it's ever going to get there... Unless we push for education. But right to repair... Fundamentally requires that education because if you don't have it, you don't know what you're working on. And if you don't know what you're working on, you can't fix what you don't know isn't broken. Then we have the communities, right? Part of right to repair is finding that community of people that have a problem that can be solved that are like, we need a better solution uh, we did it as a time-lapse, maybe it was last week or the week prior, the Arachnoid Spinner. It's for a video game from, like, the 80s or 90s. Um, it uh, it it has this little spinning thing, okay? Well, those parts are, like, $400 now on eBay, and there's a finite amount of them. Well, people actively designed it, and now you can just print the parts yourself. There's a circuit board that you can have made. And of course, because making custom circuit boards is often a commodity now, because it's so cheap with companies like PCBWay and JLCPCB, that this person that we work with is able to make these parts and bring the entire market to a standstill. Because while they're not OEM. They're OEM+, plus. they perform better than OEM and interface directly with the rest of the game in an OEM style. So it still feels OEM, but it's more reliable than OEM. And that is the big deal, reliability. Because in some cases, 3D printing, not very reliable. In fact, often 3D printing is very unreliable. Why? Because it's the computer-controlled hot glue gun. Try to make a vase. Do a vase mode print and have it hold water. They often don't. right? Unless you use fatty layers with very little... Uh, or a lot of infill overlap. Because the bottom also has to be uh, water type. And even then, you'll still get small gaps where water will find its way out. That shows the failure modes that 3D printing has. But see, we're seeing a change, and this change is good. Manufacturers recognize that fighting us is way more work than just working with us. We have companies like Noctua. Noctua has an account on printables now where they put out parts to fix repair, and modify their coolers. That is amazing, right? That really, really works. Because, yeah, companies can care. And the kind of weird side effect of it is that People love this kind of thing, right? We eat this up. Oh, yeah, another manufacturer giving us models, right? It's like, hell, yeah, this is good. I like this. Keep it up. When in reality, what they're doing is they're saving all these costs by not having to ship you the parts. And sure, they're losing the money. They're losing the money that buying that part through them would have normally netted. But instead, they're providing a licensed part that is functionally exactly what you need that works. I like this because it shows that there are companies out there that are still committed to allowing people to do things. Um, where is it? Oh, it's right up here. Uh, I don't know if I can get it. I think it's a little far. I have a Noctua NHD14. Not the 15, the 14, the old one. I'm not running it in my PC. Um, But if I wanted to, i call up Noctua and say, hey, I have an NHD14. Can you send me the backplate for a 10th series Intel processor? Because I have a 10700K. They'd say, yeah, no problem. Here you go. And they'd send it to me. That's awesome. Somebody just rang my doorbell. Let's find out. I'm, I'm assuming it's UPS, but... Let's just make sure. Let's just make sure. It is. Okay. Hey, the pieces to fix my lawnmower are here. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, New coil packs for my lawnmower. See? Right to repair. I can do it myself. I hope. Probably. Um, so this community that we have is building. Right? Now... I've got a fun issue. We are going to be producing a product called the politician. In fact, I have, um, my samples never showed up. So the manufacturer that I was working with, uh, for the heaters, they never sent the samples or I never got them, but they never made it to my house. So I just bought $140 worth of heaters and I bought them in. So we're going to be doing a bunch of this testing ourselves. And, uh, I am not going to be releasing the files for the politician. Instead, we're going to partner with people on in different countries to basically handle production for us, right? We have our Australian side, we have our UK side, and I'm still kind of looking for a, a European uh, side as well. Although, I think I know who might be handling it. That way, I don't have to provide parts all over the world. We can just have manufacturing partners that we work with to provide parts should it be needed. And at the same time, I can just give them the BOM, they sell it, they get a portion of the sales, and we collect the profit. And then I'm not dealing with international shipping, which is awesome. It means that we can now expand well beyond our current capabilities without doing any extra work. Now we are not going to provide opportunity for the end user to fix it because I don't think it's going to break. Um, but we'll find out cause I get to do my, my first like end game test probably Monday or Tuesday. So if you aren't in our discord and want to see all of that, make sure you join our discord. It is uh, behind the $10 tier on any of the platforms, uh, where you would support us and, uh, that, is where I'm going to be showing the testing. So. Oh, that's right. Yusuf, you could be the, the one for Africa. That's right. And uh I'll give it away since it's happening in less than a month. We are going to be making a custom color for it. And uh, if that's your kind of thing, make sure you stay tuned because we're going to be filming the entire process when we go out to Print and Solid after the East Coast Rep Rap Festival and make a custom color for the politician. So I'm really excited for it. That's the kind of stuff that I live for, but because it is 3d printed, if we offered people the ability to print their own parts, we would run into issues with liability. If we control who prints the parts and we control the G code, we control everything, then it makes life easy. I prefer it that way because as a manufacturer, I want to ensure quality. But (laughs) um, there's no guarantee. There is absolutely no guarantee. And it means that we might upset people. But I do want people to be able to replace things. So we will sell pre-cut filters, but we're going to tell you what we use. So if you'd rather just cut your own filters, you can do that. You're going to see that it uses a 50-15 blower fan. So if you need to, replace the damn blower fan. Who cares? You can do that. You don't need me to do that. It's no problem. But right to repair can get tricky. When you start looking at liability, a manufacturer won't often help you if you modify something beyond a way that makes it useful to them. See, I refuse to give bamboo log files. They refuse to give me warranty support. Okay, take the machine back. I don't want it. Um, I can't do that. I can't give them log files. It's not legal for me. Okay, against your company policy? No problem. See you later. I don't care. What I care about is making sure that the experience that I have is good. No other company requires log files. That's ridiculous. Why should anybody else do it? But we can see that bringing the right to repair back to the home, back to the user, back to the individual, it means that we have a better control over every process in the line. But it also means that while we have that control, we also have the control to screw it up. We can easily screw something up. If I modify one of my printers and I make a bad mod and I break it, I'm not going to claim a warranty on that. That's on me, not the company, right? Great example. I just, moved one of our Prushas, uh, actually I knocked it over, uh, during the most recent live stream, and it fell, and a part on it broke. Now, it's a Mark III S, it's not under warranty anyways, but for the sake of this argument, let's assume it is under warranty. Well, I dropped it. That's on me. Now, it's a really easy part to fix, it's just one of the pieces that holds uh, the uh, Y-axis rail in It is no big deal. It's a five-minute print and we're done. But it's still something that can easily happen. It's also not a stock part either. That machine has had lots of upgrades. So uh, that too. But the manufacturer would not warranty that because it was my part that failed, not theirs. If you buy a fully assembled printer and it doesn't work out of the box the manufacturer has to warranty it. If you buy a kit printer and it doesn't work when you assemble it, the manufacturer has some leeway here to deny you warranty because maybe you did something dumb. Now, interestingly, Prussian doesn't do that. They actually warranty and they work with you to solve this problem. And I personally think that is really cool. I dig the hell out of that. Because again... That means that you as the end user have the ability to fix, modify, and make better. Part of this community is not just replacing. Part of right to repair is not just repairing, but it is making it better. Right? The part that I printed for my car is made out of carbon fiber reinforced nylon. It'll never break. But I would rather use the OEM because it is cheap. The parts for the windshield washer uh, lines, those I made out of uh, carbon fiber reinforced polycarbonate, and I also made some out of the fire retardant variant of the polycarbonate that we have in stock. Those parts are better than OEM, and I modified it so the clips don't break as easy. The clips just break. There's no valid reason for it. I modified it so I don't have that problem. Great. Problem solved. But that doesn't always work. And we as end customers don't always have the skills that we need. See, for this to work, you must possess the skills. You can't just buy a 3D printer and instantly repair something. You can work with someone who owns a 3D printing business, maybe like 3D Musketeers to fix something but you're going to pay more money because we have to do the work it's true but you don't have to learn you are paying for our experience even if you had the file all you needed was the print yeah we're going to charge you more than cost it's a business but there are multiple like we had a guy reach out to do a helmet for cosplay and i'm like just buy your own printer here's the printer that we recommend Real simple, right? Buy this printer. It should work well for you. And if you don't have a good experience with it, uh, go to our YouTube channel. We have a bunch of videos on it. Simple as. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. But like the guy that called me at 1215 in the morning to print him some 2A stuff and, you know, parts for a Glock... Yeah, I'm not helping you with that. One, that's a federal crime. And uh, thankfully, I don't own a dog, so we're okay there. But I don't like three-letter organizations. But, like, that's where right to repair goes the wrong way. That is someone who... By the way, if you call me after midnight and you're asking for something that is a firearm component, you have no good intentions in your mind, and I am not going to help you. So don't do that. Um, You know, and I am way more likely to call three letter organizations and say, uh y'all might want to go check on this because uh something something don't seem right. But um we've got a weird problem solution game here where you have to know you have to know the information. And if you don't know the information, there's not a good way to learn it other than F around and find out. But at the same time, you don't want to put yourself into a position where you're destroying something that you're actually trying to repair. You've got a real, real issue. And until we can fix this education gap problem, 3D printing, while it is the final frontier for right to repair, because it fundamentally ensures that you can do whatever you need, it has a massive, massive barrier to entry for the average user. And as Tarsman013 says, 3D printing allowed him to not have his house flood for uh, the recent hurricane that came through Florida. Yeah, I helped that. Uh, Tarzman's my, my brother, for those that don't know. Uh, we uh, We had a part that we created to fit where an off-the-shelf one didn't fit. And without 3D printing, he would have been dumping water into his backyard. With 3D printing, he was able to take all that water and put it into the street, into the gutters, where it could get away from his house and somewhere else. Um. um yeah, so that, that was kind of cool. That was a cool one. Uh, we will be doing a video on that. Some point in the future. Um don't know when, but we'll do it at some point in the future. We were going to do it right there. But uh we, we decided that just wasn't a smart idea with a hurricane on the way. But th- this was for a two-inch hose. So it was it was uh, an adapter to connect two-inch hose to something. Um it's pretty cool. Uh Justin says, Is that the thing that I 3D printed made a video about last year? No, I did that last year. Uh, where we 3D-printed adapters to fit, I think it was 3.5-inch clear tubing to get the water away from my house. Um, I've actually found that there was a problem with that. See, this is one of those problems where I didn't see it coming, but now it's a problem. Um, Because I have necked down my gutter, leaves don't come out, and so my gutters clog with leaves. So I can solve it in one of two ways. One way is just to put gutter guards up. Or the other one is just to remove the parts. And most likely, I'm not going to put gutter guards up. I'm just going to remove the parts. Um, The land by me is pretty much sand. So we don't normally have a lot of standing water around the house. But it was a proof of concept to show that this way is possible. There are better ways to do it. um, But potentially, uh, gutter guard might be the better way. So I can maintain that ability to get the water away from the home. That's where Right to Repair kind of had this weird thing, right? Because Right to Repair is about fixing things. My gutters worked fine. There was nothing wrong with them. I had a desire to do something outside of manufacturer specifications. That is where Right to Repair and 3D printing have a blurred line that I'm not exactly certain how we can deal with. Because it's not really all that right. It doesn't work. Right. When you look at modifying things beyond manufacturer specifications, it's no longer right to repair. In my opinion, it becomes right to own, which I still firmly believe in. I don't like software as a service. I don't don't like hardware as a service. If I'm spending money on something, I want to own it. I know that often everybody else feels the same way too, except companies. I own a company. I don't care... If people take what we make for them and modify it, I don't care. You do whatever you want, but I also don't. um, I also don't really have the value on intellectual property that I probably should. Right? It's something to do with the 3D scanning. Right? We've scanned tons of major celebrities, but there have never been contracts signed. So technically, I have a right to utilize them. They never signed anything regarding who owns the scan. All they wanted was the print. So I've got all these celebrities that we have 50 plus million polygon models of. What are we going to do with them? I have no clue. I don't know what I would do with it, but I have it. It's just one of those weird ones that, okay, now we're starting to blur lines between what is good and what is evil. But right to repair is not right to do whatever the hell I want. Right to repair is to fix broken things. And 3D printing enables that beyond a level that is, well, previously thought to be reasonable. And what's interesting is that 3D printing has been around so long, it's been around longer than I've been alive. But it's only been commercialized and really commoditized and working toward commoditization since the... 2006, 2007, when the major patents started running out. So we can see that patents have kept our industry behind. But can a patent that is used correctly build and move our industry forward? Maybe that's a topic for next week. Although I think I already had next week's topic in hand. Yeah, the power of social media. I think that was going to be next week's topic. And Matt MatCat says that he's been using 3D printing as a means to learn Fusion 360. He needed a mount for his webcam, so he made one. Fusion 360 plus 3D printing equals win. Yeah, but any of you that have tried to just pick up Fusion 360 and use it, it sucks. There is no tutorial. There's videos online, but often they're so outdated because Fusion changes its UI and UX so often. And I wish they would stop doing it. Because it means people that put out tutorials that were valid back then end up no longer being valid now. Because things aren't where they used to be, or they're not called what they used to be. So, yeah. There's a point here. And sure, Onshape exists. Onshape is a browser-based. They sponsor a lot of YouTubers. I don't know why we've... I should reach out to them. But we don't use Onshape because you have to pay to have your models private. You don't have to pay for Fusion 360. So I guess I'd rather make a deal with Autodesk. But is that making a deal with the devil? I don't know. If you have previous CAD experience, Fusion might be easier for you to pick up. But if you've never worked in CAD before and don't understand it, It is a totally different world. You have to, instead of thinking in 3D, you must think in 2D that can be extruded or revolved or expanded somehow into 3D. And that mindset is not easy a lot of the time. I learned fusion the hard way, which was by just struggling. And I still keep some of those bad uh like the, the, those bad uh, methods and motions with me now where I make way more sketches than is reasonably required because that's how my brain is set to work. I'd rather make a new sketch than go way back in my history to adjust an old sketch because that might screw up the rest of my history because I didn't properly align things with the history. <sighs> it sucks. But then there are design programs like uh, Shaper 3D that use an iPad and an Apple Pencil that are so much more intuitive, but they're not parametric. And so, yeah, this wrapping the head around the concept is that barrier to entry. If you can solve that barrier to entry, great. I have a ton of faith that you will be able to make whatever you want. But if you can't solve that barrier to entry, you're left with a few different options. One of them is pay a professional company. Option two is to go to something like Fiverr or Upwork and, you know, take your chances. Option three is to hope that somebody else already did it and you can find it for free or cheap online. And none of those are often a great option if you don't exactly know what you're doing because if you don't know the right terms then you don't really know how to properly explain it and if you can't properly explain it you're not going to get the thing that you wanted in the first place and all of this compounds into a problem of pain so then how do we solve it well we look at building better education I think that is what is holding back the right to repair movement specifically for 3D printing. I think it is the lack of good education. And I am hoping, I am hoping that we can get better. But that's all I got, guys. Um, I'm sorry that, again, we have lost, for, for for those that have been following along, 21,732 frames, which is 8.6% of this podcast has been lost um i will check to see what my raw recording time versus what youtube thinks if my raw recording time is much longer than what youtube has we will go ahead and upload the raw recording unlist it and you know pin the comments like we have previously done in former episodes if you know a thing or two about it and dealing with problems like this please let me know i would love to talk to you and, and quite frankly at this point i will pay to have someone deal with it deal with it for me because i just can't anymore it is frustrating and i apologize it is not easy to keep my composure when uh, my stream just stops it's not easy to keep my composure when uh, something that i am trying to do as a business i am fundamentally stopped by something that i can't control Anyways, um, 3D Labs is not an OBS thing. Um, But if you want to, you can contact me. That's fine. We are using 29.0.0, which is the last stable OBS for streaming. Anything beyond that tends to have really bad issues with dropping frames, even if you're not having an issue with packet loss. My issue is all packet loss. Um, I don't think a delay will solve the problem. But anyways, it does bother me and I'm sorry that it bothers me because I want to have the best experience that I can have for you guys. And with us actively looking at doing more streaming and cutting more videos on the channel, it's like we're going to in October, we're going to be going to a Wednesday video every two weeks. And those off weeks, I'll be streaming on the standing and also now sitting set because it's a sit stand desk. And if you didn't see me build a, a table and flip it all on my own. Go check out that live stream. That was, that was a fun one. But anyways, guys, I will talk to you all later. And gals and those in between and none of the above. I will talk to you all later. Stay safe out there. Don't forget to call your loved ones. And as always, keep making awesome. Have a good one.